0: Hey y'all, Alex Barinka here, head of external affairs at Verishop and host of Finding Inspo, the first shoppable podcast where we'll bring you the stories of some of the biggest names, style, and design, digging deep into how they turned inspiration into successful businesses. And each week, my guests and I curate the Finding Inspo shop at fairshopcom inspo with the products that emerge from their personal stories. If you can tell from all my y'alls, I was born and raised in the South Texas to be specific, but my roots there aren't nearly as deep as my guests today. Brenda Brock is the founder of luxury skincare line, Pharmaesthetics, and she comes from a long line of Texas farmers. Her parents were the seventh generation working the land. While she now calls Newport, Rhode Island home, her nature-driven sensibilities have stuck with her at the heart of her skincare business. I grew up in Dallas. Uh, I I think I had a a bit of a more uh, urban, perhaps suburban background than you did. (laughs) But I hear you go back, your roots go back far in Texas and and you're from a, a long lineage of a certain type of Texan. Can you kind of talk through your family background?
1: Yeah, I am a seventh generation uh, Texas farming daughter. I mean, of course, I'm not on the farm farming now, but my family still is, even after all this time. My dad was raised on a farm outside Austin, which is where I went to school, I love Austin, in a little town called Bartlett. Um, It used to be in the boonies, I think. Now it's sort of being encompassed by the growing Austin area, but um, my family have been there forever. And um, when I was growing up, I spent summers and my birthday and Easters and holidays on the farm with my uh, grandparents and my, um, my aunts. Uh, my Aunt Dor Frances is 96, still painting her own barn, and uh, she truly is such an inspiration for me. I grew up with the stories of my uh, grandmother Lila, who I named my daughter after, raising all the kids on that farm in Texas during the Depression. It was a small family working farm, and uh, she had to make use with all of the... Uh, crops and the gardens that she planted and grew and she 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 planted that garden very mindfully for for plants that she would use throughout the year to take care of the you know the needs of her family. And
0: and, and what did you what did you typically find in that garden? What were the things uh that she was putting in the ground back then?
1: Well, so much of it I've I've heard about and but I've also seen very similar to what i use in my products um simple um approachable american herbs like mint calendula thyme hyssop all of which i grow today in my garden i learn a lot by by planting growing and watching them so no exotics you're not going to find any you know lang lang growing out there in central texas so uh what i learned to use were those really hardy american Herbs um, in a kind of traditional rural way, but they're very much the same herbs that they used in uh, the Native Americans that lived around there, just in different, different combinations. Time tested, perhaps, by those who've been. Uh... I would say so. And, you know, herbal traditions are exactly that. I know that science is catching up and we're learning ever more about the complexity of herbs and flowers and how they're used but truly when you follow the lore of a plant or a flower it goes back to some very common ways of it being used because it worked over time and it's the data is there and you know there's nothing better than a you know grandmother data so there you go <laughs> the best kind, especially if you're coming from the <laughs> south, that's the tried and true lore
0: that becomes reality. So, take us take us back then. So, you grew up in uh, outside of Austin. Uh, you were on your family farm. What did your typical t- day look like when you were growing up there?
1: Well, you know, my family lived in more urban areas also and traveled around, but that was always home base and still is for the Brock family. So, when I would go and. See, now you're bringing back a lot of (laughs) memories. When I would go to the farm, and I remember being so young, I sat in that kitchen, and I watched all the women on that farm come in together, and how they cooked, and what they made, and what they called putting things up whether it was food, peaches, pickles for the winter, but they also put up salves and oils, tinctures, um, elixirs, unguents is an old fashioned name. Um, I really ate that stuff up. I watched them. I used to um, kind of hang on the the apron strings, literally. Um, My cousins, I was the youngest, Um, my cousins didn't want anything to do with it. They were out in the fields riding horses, having fun, and my brother and all of that. But I really resonated with that kitchen culture. And uh, what I call what I do still is a little elevated, but it's still kitchen chemistry.
0: I love that. And so kitchen chemistry, you fell in love with that. What did you go to school for?
1: I studied nursing to start, and um, I was very interested in preventative nursing or preventative health, which wasn't a big deal in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, so I switched out and ended up studying playwriting. That's quite the switch. You think it is, but as you, Eudora Welty says, everything that kind of happens to us before 12, we end up telling that story over and over again in different ways. So my play that I had produced off off Broadway in New York and worked on at the actor's studio was about a farm girl trying to uphold the traditions <laughs> of her rural culture in an impinging modern world. Um, and so that's a little bit like what I was doing in nursing school as well. Where are those, um, where are those tools and techniques through food or medicine or lifestyle that keep us healthy, uh, rather than treating treating illness. And I think about skincare the same way. How can we sustain what we have? It's so much easier to keep what you have than to try to get back what you've lost. Um, and that's my approach to all of my formulation as well.
0: And I have to give a shout out, Eudora Welty, Optimus Daughter is one of my favorite books. Yay, so i am <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that. It seems like we have more in common than just the, the Texas connection. Um so so you you went into playwriting and and you said you moved here if you're working off Broadway. You came to New York City. I'm sitting in New York right now, um, yes. as we're taping this. Uh, quite the change. I mean, I came from Dallas, which was still pretty urban. It was urban suburbia when I was growing up there. But but New York is definitely a different beast, a different pace in, uh, for sure. How was that transition
1: for you moving up here? I was really an, um, an adventurer at heart. I wanted something so different. And that was about as different <laughs> as you can get. And I, uh, you know, I, I I loved New York City. I loved that you could walk out at any time of day and be a part of a community, you know, at the coffee shop or, it, it and living in rural cultures, it's really, you're a little more isolated, you know, it's your friends and family. So it was a big open fishbowl, it was very exciting for me. Um, it's funny though, I'm living in Newport, Rhode Island now and I've been here a long time. Um, I actually came here from New York City on just a, a weekend getaway with my best friend from Dallas <laughs> and uh, ended up marrying, uh, meeting the man I'm married. But, um, you know, it's uh, after about 10 years in New York, I really wanted to return to a more rural nature based lifestyle. Rhode Island is definitely that it's full of farmland and ocean. um, And there's a lot of environmental awareness here. uh, So but New York was a great place for me to get my chops up I think.
0: (laughs) When you were here for that decade uh, were you always doing were you always in the theater space or did you move
1: on uh to another career within that course of time? I was always in the theater space I was at the actor studio studying playwriting but again I was very lucky I got a job on a soap opera uh It called One Life to Live. It was an ABC soap in the 80s and late 80s and 90s. uh, And I was hired, believe it or not, to play a farm girl. And I got the job (laughs) because I could ride a horse. And I was a flashback sequence for a character that was on the show to the 1800s on a farm. So go figure. (laughs) I
0: love it, I love it. <laughs> that is fantastic okay so you you came from from home you you knew the the kitchen chemistry you're using the cells of of kind of your your family history days. What was your beauty routine like during the uh around the time when you were riding that horse for one
1: life to live? I brought a lot of my homemade um products uh then I just called them goodies but I'd bring those to the to the studio and it's so funny because a lot of my friends who are actors uh were not surprised to hear my change of direction I would boil I would cook beets for example and bring <laughs> beet juice mixed with apple cider vinegar for my you know co-stars on the show we all worked these ridiculous hours we would go to work on 66th street at the ABC building you know, and it'd be dark outside, and we'd leave after dark. So we, there were, you know, a need for some nourishment. Um, I made little creams in my blender, and I would bring those and share them. So it was not a surprise to my my colleagues at ABC that I moved on to being in the skincare space.
0: So when you put the the soap dreams aside, you moved on to perhaps a different type of soap dream. Um, When you moved to Rhode Island, uh, what did your professional life look like from there? Uh, What's a what's a theater girl to do when she moves to a new spot where, uh, let's say, Broadway
1: is not right around the corner? Well, that was the question. Number one, I was a new mother so it was quite the change i remember sending postcards to friends saying greetings from siberia it was a real (laughs) downshift in pace i couldn't you know but um my friend here um, outside newport lives on an 80 acre organic farm Um, and it's funny, Newport's a very cosmopolitan resort, but not far out of here, maybe 20 minutes. It looks like English rolling countryside full of farmland. So we decided to take our little girls and just do something fun for the summer. She said, oh, let's grow herbs and flowers and I'll sell them and we'll sell veggies. And you make your goodies with, uh, you know, with the herbs that we're growing here, which I did. And so that was how I uh got the name Pharmasthetics. you know that was the that was where i started actually you know offering them to people other than my friends and family but again it wasn't anything other than an exercise to show my daughter how things are grown it was really important to me for her to see that things you know products don't grow on shelves there's process behind it you're you're connected to the earth it's important what you put down the drain so i had no idea that summer when i had the project at this sweet little farm stand that this would turn into you know a a a really growing booming beauty business it was 1999 People weren't talking about green skin care. Natural was, you know, a product that has a flower on the label. Uh, but a, a woman from New York City, Beth Menardi, very famous hairstylist, happened to be gifted some of my products that I made at home. And I got a call from her and she said, bring me everything. I want to I want to check this out. And she was my first wholesale customer. So I just kind of followed the tra- trail uh, unknowingly, un- un- really, to becoming an entrepreneur. I'm kind of the accidental entrepreneur there, but um, it started just filling time with being a mother and teaching my child what was, I felt, very important for her to keep her feet on the ground, you know?
0: Let's take a quick break from my chat with Pharmacetics founder, Brenda Brock. I wanted to remind you that, like every Finding Inspo episode, this one is also shoppable. Brenda and I have curated items from this conversation and a few others that are inspiring us lately for the special Finding Inspo store on Verishop. Next to each product, we'll also tell you why we're loving it. You can shop them all at verishop.com inspo. And just for Finding Inspo listeners, new Verishop customers can take 20% off their first purchase with the code INSPOBB next we 'll dig into how Brenda took that kitchen chemistry and scaled it to a successful skincare business and we 'll get specific about some of our favorite products, two of which i 've been using since my very first bear shop order back in June yeah and so when you when you did kind of go through that process of going from the the beauty lemonade stand into you know <laughs> writing your first uh, getting your first purchase order from a wholesale partner. Uh, What were the biggest things you learned? The biggest, I mean, in startup life, I'm new to startup life. It's been, what, nine months now. I think the biggest resounding drumbeat is that if something has to get done, you just figure it out. Nothing's not your job. You just do it. In those early days, what were the things that you were learning that you just had to figure out because you had to, you know, get the right products from uh, maybe your kitchen chemistry set to
1: uh, your your first wholesale partner. Well, you're absolutely right. And for me, it was just a lot of yes, yes. Can you do this? Yes. How do you, you know... Do you have protocols for a spa? Yes, you know, I'd get out of there. What's a the protocol? <laughs> but uh but the most challenging was really when I had a friend who's a businessman come into my house have for dinner and he looked in the fridge and it was full of infusing witch hazels and all of the, you know, don't eat this, don't drink that. And you know, he said, Gosh, you know, this is really this is really interesting. You 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 have a business here, I think. And he said I will I will help guide you. Well, the first thing was you've got to figure out how to get these out of your blender and into, you know, a manufacturing or a lab. I had no idea where that was or how that was. And I just knocked on doors. As I say, I kissed a lot of frogs until I found a derm lab that really understood natural formulation and wanted to work with me to translate them so that they did not require artificial preservative systems, but that we could keep the recipe the same. So, you know, scaling up from a teaspoon of this to a kilo of that um, required an enormous amount of help. It was the first time I've ever really felt comfortable to reach out and say, I don't know anything about this, but could you help? me you know and that's been a lesson i think that i needed to learn and i'm really glad i did because before i felt like i needed to know it already you know and um business isn't that way it is just reaching out and asking for help and it's a generous community when you're an entrepreneur i hope you found that i was surprised it is funny because you do learn that
0: really quickly you have to know what you don't know and you have to know how to ask for that help But I also think it's interesting because in the early days, it is about, you know, proving yourself and saying yes, but you also have to learn to say no. At what point do you feel like things were really taking off to the point where you really had a handle on things and uh, you were moving forward with a business that is closer to what it looks like now?
1: That's such a great question. And, you know, for the first, uh, well, gosh, like 10 years of this, it was a lot of education for me, going and talking to people, you know, talking with the groups at Estee Lauder. We did a 18 a, a month partnership with Origins, you know, and, and, and really learning about how to fit into these bigger existing models as a new concept in beauty, you know? And then that was so fun and we're educating and it's all yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden you realize I need to double my team. I've got to get another manufacturing facility. I need a marketing director. And that's, I think that's been a challenge. And then you stabilize and hit another growth spurt. You know, look at what's happening in clean, green, sustainable beauty right now. It is enormous. We launched in Japan last year. That is where I'm learning no, (laughs) because (laughs) how fast you grow has to be in line with how deep your roots are, you know, and every once in a while, it feels like, oh, I need to, I need to stabilize here before I take this on. And I saw that
0: in my course especially in my past life at bloomberg talking to a lot of founders and tech founders i did see some really big mistakes get made because people's eyes would get so big but they would forget their feet aren't on the ground i guess what are the things as as somebody who now like has a staff like people look to you for this kind of guidance how have you you know really figured out how to make sure that you're guiding your company in the right direction and not just kind of chasing after maybe the the
1: not the best opportunities? Well, that is a challenge right now, especially with all the changes in the in the platforms available to us, as you know. So much is moving out of what have been traditional models for distribution into really newfangled ways of reaching our customer. So how I've navigated that is day by day, <laughs> one day at a time with a, with a team of people that I uh, bring on to from di- different aspects to really guide me. You know, I know what I'm good at. I have a vision and I and I feel I've realized that for the heart and soul of my brand, but we're now building the business. And for that, um, I I I do res- I have a team of close advisors and when let's say just step back for a minute, let's get a little more data on this. You know, I think I'm always looking for that team that has the right information and experience for that moment in time of growth. So it's, you know, it's with the suitcase, you you sit on that side and that side pops up, you run over there and that side, and it's exciting and it's dangerous and it's um, rewarding. And you understand it, I can tell by looking at your face. I like to call it directionally correct chaos. (laughs) That's it. Love that. So
0: when you, you know, now that you are established, folks know who you are, folks know pharmaceutics. has the way that you ask for help changed from those early days? Because I still think that that's something really important. As you as a leader, when you need to uh, fill a knowledge gap of your own, has that process changed for you in terms of uh, versus, you know, knocking on all those doors uh, those many years ago?
1: Yes, it has. And one of the things that I have had to really embrace it more and more and more is brand management. You know, you're growing a brand, you're building a brand, you're defining a brand. Then you then you have that and you realize that the decisions being made, you know, when all the different departments, marketing, operationally, whatever, have to always run through that brand management piece of my mind and heart and um so that is a job that i've started to really step into and and it's different it's to 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 take on that piece of oversight and not be influenced by, well, if you just put it in a little plastic bottle and do this, you know, so it's in a way after 20 years back to where we start, you, you start first, it's like, well, change this or change that. There are certain things in places now that are not, can't be changed. I don't think some of them can, but the brand management piece for a founder, I believe is really important role.
0: And, and when you do think about what your brand stands for, it obviously is so at the heart, uh, this kind of farm nat- natural experience that you grew up with. Uh, talk me through, what does farm mean? What is, what is kind of the, the heart of
1: the brand? Our tagline is sustainable beauty. That shows you how ahead we were to be able to trademark that. But that is really what uh, encapsulates pharmaceutics for me and sustainability, meaning, you know, what you take out of the, of your tissue, your skin, you put back in. There is this idea of balance and beauty. And that is really, really true for healthy tissue and skin. Um, it is exactly the same for the environment. What you take out, you need to put back in. We need to be mindful that the ingredients, I use whole crop-based organic ingredients, very, you know, whole organic milk solids, everything in its whole state. Where does that come from? My job is to make sure those suppliers, that's what I do all day long, you know, are trusted suppliers and I'm getting the best ingredients that I can. And that means their practices as well as mine. How is something made? So sometimes the decision making goes so deep into something, you know, without getting completely crazy. But at the same time, I think um, having relationships is a part of pharmaceutics branding. And one is having a relationship with yourself. What are your values? What are the virtues? What is your commitment? And sticking to them. In a world where we're really really tempted to say oh well i'll take this but not that that's all right i'm not going to look at that
0: i do think those questions that you're posing um the the fashion industry the beauty industry in particular is actually really loudly asking those questions now. There's a lot of buzz about sustainability. Clean beauty has become, you know, a thing that wasn't just, you know, not in the mainstream. Why do you think these questions are being asked at this moment in time that you obviously were asking since back in 1999 when you started pharmaceutics?
1: I feel like it's a restoration to common sense, you know. In rural lifestyles, these are precepts that have always been, they didn't give it a name like clean or this or that. It was just common sense. You don't throw things, trash away and you don't pollute your water you're drinking. You have a stewardship and a responsibility to your environment because, well, as you know, my granddaddy and my Uncle Jig said, you know, if the farmer takes care of the farm, the farm will take care of the farmer. And that interdependency, especially in big manufacturing and where we, there's a huge impact and we're experiencing it and we realize there's a better way. I love that we're having this conversation now. And that it's rooted in reality. And we have to be careful that these ideas don't become just, again, marketing ideas, but that they really are rooted in practices, uh, good business practices.
0: Which I I am curious your thoughts on this kind of commercialization of self-care, which seems to be driving a lot of the conversation around clean and a lot of the conversation around sustainability. Uh, It seems like it is... is good that the trend is moving in a direction where these questions and these ideas are being posed but on the flip side uh, with any kind of big commercialization push uh, there's always the fear that it'll be a fad and it'll go out of fashion how do you feel about the fact that this is so high in the ethos with a lot of
1: marketing speak at the moment i don't worry that it's a fad and it goes out of fashion, I worry more that we will lose an understanding of what sustainability really is. When I started pharmesthetics in 1999, natural skincare was anything but, and it could be anything but just a flower on the label, you know, and I really spent so much time being truthful and trying to re- um, imagine, you know, or or capture the imagination of, of what that really means. I think it's, if we lose that sense of connection to our, in our, to, to nature, I think it causes so many problems on, you know, socially, physically, you know, outside of even the realm of beauty. And we have to understand what do we really understand beauty to mean? One of the things I like about these questions is that, is that, you know, so what are we talking about? We're really, so is beauty, is that health? Is that balance? So the even if it's overkill right now, it's still within there, some really important kernels of truth that hopefully, rather than it being trendy and leaves, we get rid of all that's fake and lie, and we're left with what really is truth and what's possible, you know, because, anything's possible. Look at the food industry right now. You know, are we going to get to a point where you know, I don't want fresh bread. I want that bread that stays uh, soft for 6 years, you know? We're never going to return to that. We want, I don't we I don't think anyway. Yeah,
0: and and you know, and I do think it, it also comes back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of how you think about skincare. You think about it as sustaining what you have. So talk to me about how all of these ideas have kind of been distilled down into the actual products that you're making. Um, are there really good examples in your assortment in terms of that back up that
1: idea of sustaining what you have? Um, yes, all of them. <laughs> but I'll, I'll talk about the complexion conserve. It's just become this incredibly popular product for us. It's simple ingredients. It's castor oil based. Uh, it's multi-purpose use. It's for young. It's for old. Uh, but what it does is has a very simple chemical constituency around castor oil and rose essential oil and a little vitamin E that really goes into the tissue and plumps it and causes a number of healthy sort of domino results such as elasticity and even skin tone. Um, Castor oil is a really interesting ingredient. Uh, There are books written about it. One of my books that I love is called The Oil That Heals. And it really looks at a product as a healing treatment um, and healing meaning, you know, coming together, be, becoming balanced and strong and staying there and resistant to environmental damage and resistant to those influences, internal, external, that create dis-ease. Um, So I think that is a good example of it. And in herbal formulation, what's really important, it's how each of the ingredients work together to produce one super pow result versus like here's a cream and then you add some new, you know, some really razzle-dazzle ingredient. Um, It is very synergistic and it works with your skin that way. Fine herbal cleanser, that is... Was one of the first formulations I did that was very challenging because it's an aqueous solution, and I did not want to add an artificial preservative system to it. So it's a very carefully, thoughtfully <laughs> formulated product with five ingredients, but it is a super powerful um, antibacterial. That's my that's my go to. I absolutely love my fine herbal cleanser awfully proud of that
0: from texas farm gal to aspiring nurse to her appearances on one life to live i love how the culmination of brenda's experiences led her to create a line that's natural effective and true to her past you can go check out how beautiful the Pharmastetics products are on Verishop. Brenda and I curated all of our favorites for you. Just go to verishop.com inspo. And now you can try them even sooner than before. In case you missed the news this month, all Verishop purchases now come with free one-day shipping. So you can satisfy your shopping cravings even faster. And new Verishop customers can take 20% off their first purchase with the code INSPOBE. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at inspo Podcast, or follow me at Alex Barinka. I would also love if you would rate and review the podcast. It helps other people find us. This episode was produced by me, Alex Barinka, with production and editing support from Wonder Media Network. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon.